1: Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are. Welcome to another episode of she a We are here today to put the her in disappearance. Oh, are we? (laughs) We are, because things are disappearing in this episode. Like my brain cells (laughs) are also disappearing. Hi, my name is Summer Yeager, and I'm here with my beautiful co-host, Joy. And Joy, every day, at least once, I imagine that something I'm walking underneath or around or by is going to fall down on me oh (laughs) at least once i was sitting here and i looked up at like the the set lights that are above us and i was like those are gonna fall i mean interesting one day they might but probably not right now i mean stuff like that happens but usually it's no i see it in my head freak yeah that doesn't
0: happen to me but you know what i do think about like like dropping my keys and my phone into the <laughs> yeah, sewer. Yeah. You've
1: told me about that something. about dropping things. Yeah. Yeah. I see things falling on me. So for
0: us for it's both gra- it's gravity. gravity for it's both gravity. of us, but yours is like above. Yeah. Yep. I do I'm sure many people can relate to sort of thinking thinking in like final destination. <laughs> yes.
1: Final destination thoughts. Like, this happens, and this <laughs> happens, and this happens kind of right, thing. Right, right. Yeah, I just see that all the time. Was that weird? No, I think it's normal.
0: Okay, I think right.
1: it's really normal. Okay, well, um, if it's not normal, you can call us at 470-465-0475 and let us know. I think as long as you're
0: willing to move forward from that thought. Yeah, I do. Yes, yes. Then it's Yes, normal. I said yes. Yes. Otherwise... Go get help. Okay. Got it. Um, <laughs> if you're paralyzed to go anywhere. Not yet. Or be anywhere because nope. something could fall.
1: Not yet. You know.
0: <laughs> um, I'm Joy. Hey, I'm joined by beautiful co-host. And I just don't, I don't have any thoughts. You don't today. have any thoughts anymore.
1: It's the They're, end of your pregnancy. Yeah. Your thoughts are gone. Yeah. That's well, okay. I always,
0: I have a lot of thoughts. I just never think to classify them. In a way that's like, remember this, because that was interesting.
1: (laughs) Right. You know, um, I don't remember where this came about. But at some point in Sheologians, you said thinky thoughts. Uh And then it became like a joke for a while. Thinky thoughts. Yeah. Last night, I don't remember what my husband and I were talking about. But he said something like, those are my thinky thoughts. And I just can't remember where that came from in our canon. I know. Someone tell us. Because I remember... It being a thing. You said thinky thoughts, and I don't remember, like, what the context was or what it was, and it's just been accepted. And people will call us and leave us voicemails and be like, those are our thinky thoughts. good. Okay. And I can't remember where it came from. Someone let us know. Yeah. 470-465-0475. Um, that must have been, like, early on. It was early on. It was early on. It it's it was so probably be really weird. It was so early on that it's just part of canon and I don't question it. It would
0: be weird Um, to go back and listen to episodes. I can't.
1: I had someone recently um, say they heard me on a podcast, so they decided to listen to my show. (laughs) Uh huh. And they're gonna start from the beginning, and I got scared. I was like, oh, I don't know.
0: Maybe start. Maybe we'll come up with one to start. guys. Feminism. Start with the feminism feminism episode, the first one, and then move forward
1: yeah that was january of 2017 I know. but
0: that was when we really like found our
1: we're so old now voice we're like
0: podcast old i know it's weird we've been going for a long time i don't know never missed an episode
1: Boom. and let's see if we keep that we can keep that going going i believe in us you're gonna have you know this is how tough women are are you ready for it you're gonna have a baby mm-hmm. and we are working hard to not miss a week i know Cause we the really men would just be like, I got to take time off. We've really <laughs> made it our yes. goal
0: to never to not miss. miss a week.
1: Yeah. It's going to happen at some point, yeah. but not even Georgia, right? Like coming into the world. We're going to make right. this happen. Yeah.
0: Make it work. Plan ahead.
1: <sighs> well, this week we're here to tell you some, well, you know, joy doesn't know what story I have and I don't know what story she has. Mm-hmm. So, I don't even know what to call these stories. I don't know if they're true crime. I don't know. I have a disappearance. I don't know what you've got. I think they're true crime,
0: but not like okay. in the t- typical, typical sense. Okay. I think they are cases involving, does yours involve like a murder or anything? I don't know. Mine, de- mine doesn't.
1: Okay. To be determined. Mine's like a legal, more of like a legal. Oh, okay. Well, who's going first? We didn't plan that. Oh, yeah. Whoops. Um, Whoops. Can you guys quick. Tell us
0: <laughs> who went. Cause we told stories. Not that long. Well, who told the first, who told you told goldfish. I so did. should I go first this time? Sure. Okay. All right. You guys want to hear something really fun. I do. I wrote no notes for this. Yes. So we're going to go through it. There's going to be some stuff that I don't know. And some stuff that I approximate and we're just keeping it loose. Think um, thought this is one of my favorite stories of all time. Oh, um, I think it's so interesting. You know the story, you just don't know it yet. Oh, okay. Um, but there'll be a moment where you're like, I know what this story is.
1: Okay. Um, I've been looking for. Also, to
0: I'm just gonna let you guys know that there are certain elements to the story that I'm going to keep very light because okay. certain parts of the story. Okay. Suck. Okay. Um, and they're like pretty grim and rough. Hmm. Okay. And so keep it light. But that's really not the crux of the story okay so those things I am going to kind of generalize smooth and that being said if this is a case that you choose to do more research on yeah I'm gonna say that you do that at your own risk (laughs) <laughs> like discernment, <laughs> risk, whatever. Okay. And just know that if you look more into it. Yeah. Um, you might hear some things that like really. Are just, upsetting. Yeah. Are awful. Okay. We've all um, been
1: sufficiently warned and I'm super ready. Yeah. But I'm not. I'm going to tell you the
0: story in light of what I love about this story. Okay. Um, And so I'm going to tell you the story of a man named Matt Hahn.
1: Hahn. Mm-hmm. Okay.
0: Okay, so Matt Hahn,
1: mm-hmm.
0: normal guy, <laughs> Just pretty normal do. upbringing. Okay. I'm trying to think of what his age is. He's got to be – he's a little older than us. He's got to be mm-hmm. like 35 at this point, maybe a little bit older than that. Okay. Um, but so we're talking like somewhat of a similar sure. generation. Um, he – growing up fairly like normal life. Mm-hmm. Um, But he, as he reached his teen years, he started running with, you know, kind of a crowd Mm. and started partying and doing things that some teenagers have been known to do.
1: The things the teenagers, kids these days.
0: But where he kind of uh, like jumped into not so common territory Mm -hmm. was that he unfortunately developed um, a meth addiction. Oh. Early on. Mm, so Bummer. By the time he was a senior in high school, yeah. he dropped out of high school because oh. of his meth addiction. Okay. Um, and another thing that he was doing because of his meth addiction and because humans are depraved. Yeah. Was he was um stealing things to mm feed his meth addiction yep his i guess his dealer in particular was like a handy guy so Mm. he would accept like tools for trade for (laughs) meth. okay so they would steal tools like nice tools because tools can be expensive expensive. yep um and so that's just kind of what he was doing they would him and his friends would like park their car in a nice neighborhood Mm -hmm. and then they would walk around the neighborhood and, like, look for people's stuff in, that people left in their right. truck beds or right. their garage door was open or whatever. Right. Um, and so... This um, is
1: why I don't trust anyone.
0: I mean, <laughs> lock your doors, people. <laughs> uh, but, well, and actually that brings up a great point because this this is a part of the story and I'm willing to have a conversation about it. Matt Hahn, despite being a burglar, he was never he never committed a robbery, which if you don't know the difference... A burglary is when you sneak into someone's house and steal something. A robbery is when you take a gun to someone's house and say, give me your money to a person and you brandish a weapon at them. Okay.
1: So he never threatened a person with no. a weapon.
0: And I'm not saying, I'm not giving his stealing sure. a free pass. Sure. Right. But it is important to consider that there is a difference in a violence, degree of violence. Sure. in Stealing when sure. nobody is around. Yeah. to, Mm-hmm. like holding a person up mm-hmm. and threatening them with violence in order to get them to do what It
1: would seem to intimate that there's a line he's not willing to cross. Right. Yeah. That he has a line. Not that he is a a righteous upstanding person, yeah. Th- no. Thief, but no. He's okay, got it. Yeah. Um noted. But so at any rate
0: he um they're doing that one mm-hmm. night he is in a nice neighborhood. They're in California. So okay. keep in mind when I say a nice neighborhood, I don't just mean like they were in Gilbert. <laughs> I mean like they were in nice, okay. nice neighborhoods nice where okay. people had, had money. money. Mm-hmm. Like even your middle class in mm-hmm. California has to have.
1: Yeah, California is expensive. Yeah.
0: Um, and so they They stole some tools. They were walking out of like a garage that was left open at night or something. Mm-hmm. And um, they're, like, the way that he's walking, he can kind of, like, see down this hill, Mm -hmm. these nice houses in these hills. Sure. And he sees, like, three or four cars, like, one after the other headlights. It's, like, 3 a.m. Mm. And he has like this horrible feeling and he's mm-hmm. like, oh, those are cops because it's 3 a.m. For and like sure. who else right. is going to be driving there's like no, that? There's not a lot
1: of caravans. In that formation. Yeah, <laughs> at 3 a.m., sure. And so
0: him and his friends all take off like through the hills. He ends up going to his house. The cops are also there. Oh. He goes through yards and sneaks and tries to hide the stuff that he's stolen. Anyway, he gets picked up. Uh-huh. Um, and he's getting charged with a lot of... Uh, burglaries, Mm -hmm. which in the state of California is a felony. Okay. Um, Especially one where you're like entering someone's home. Without their permission. Sure. Um, So he is going to be going to prison for 40 years. Oh my. Based off of what they have him for. Okay. Um, His lawyer, of course, recommends that he take a plea deal. Of course. In order to not serve 40 years years at the age of 18. Right. I believe. Because that's, yeah. (laughs) That's That's your entire life. That's a life. Yeah. Um, And yeah, I suppose we'll get into, we can discuss some of the legal ramifications Mm -hmm. and what I think personally about some of the laws involved in this case, but, Mm -hmm. or we don't have to, you can come to your own conclusions. Um, But so of course he takes the plea deal Um, in this plea deal. He gets five years or something like that. Plus, um, he has three-plus strikes. Okay. So in California, the three at the time, they've yeah. since reformed it some, uh-huh. but the three-strikes law yeah. was in full effect, okay. meaning that um, for every felony, mm-hmm. you get a strike. Yes. They can't arrest you for the first time and strike you out, okay. but they can give you three strikes. So like, if they arrested him for five felonies, he, they can't automatically send him to jail for 25 to life, but they can... He gets three strikes, goes to jail, and then the next time he gets picked up for anything, after you have those three strike, three plus strikes, yeah, like life twenty five to life. Okay, for each, for each. Wow. Uh, That's so unjust. Charge. That's not just. Okay, yeah, and Got obviously, it. of course, that was done. That's like horrible. that, that was institute. It's totally unjust. Yeah, and it was instituted um, by people with the best of intentions who. It was created Need for, a for career criminals who would go, be in and out of jail and then ultimately harm a person. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I think that's where that I'm talking about, like, violence mm-hmm. before, like a, the, a burglary versus a robbery yeah. does make a difference. Here it does. Yeah, because someone um like a rate of recidivism first of all is not does not fall in the standard of justice you don't put someone away based on how likely they are to reoffend. that's, that's not how pre-crime right <laughs> um, what is this
1: minority report right
0: but um but um he also you have people that are going to prison for 25 to life for violent crimes that they've committed right. and then you also have this guy right. who while he stole and i'm not saying that's right and that right. he didn't owe some person some amount of restitution right um but you're talking about an 18 year old right going to jail for 40 years for right. a non a crime where like he that he could have repaid the mm-hmm. cost of those tools mm-hmm. and then justice would have been done right yeah mm-hmm. yes yes Um, at any rate, so he, okay, so he's 18. He has a sentence for five ish, six ish years. He also has three plus strikes. So he's going to prison and he can never commit a felony again, or I guess get caught at least for Uh a felony ever again. Right. He ends up going, um, to prison for 20 months or so. I think it was 2000 when he went in and it's 2001 sometime during 2001 when he gets out. Mm -hmm. Um, and I'm assuming it's because he was Um, a model prisoner. Yeah. He enrolled in college classes. He Mm -hmm. was getting his life on track and he, after he got out after 20 months, he continued to live a new sober, non meth, non stealing. Oh good. Okay. Kind of way. Great. Um, and so A few years after he was out, he, like, he had a job, he was going to school, you know, all that kind of thing. And he, um, his roommate and good friend from his teenagehood, uh, uh, committed suicide and he, like, couldn't handle it. And so he started using meth again. He relapsed. Okay. And very quickly was back to the same Mm. life that he was living. Right. So, um... He there was this particular thing he wanted. He was told by someone, Oh, I know someone who has that thing. Mm-hmm. Here's their address. Mm-hmm. And he was like, oh, Okay, I'm gonna go steal this thing that I want. So mm-hmm. they show up at this, um, they show up at this big, big house. Nice. Okay, there's like a little you pull up and there's like a little cottage in the front mm-hmm. and then the main house behind mm-hmm. it. So they're walking around looking for this particular thing, but Mm. I'm sure they're also looking for kind of anything that would be of value. Yeah. Um, And so he starts to get this like weird, that weird feeling again, like he got that night where he got arrested and he looked and saw all the cop cars coming up. And so he just got, he in interviews, he talks about it being like sort of a weird subconscious, which you're like, In a, in a situation like that, you're, you actually do notice stuff before you notice it. Right.
1: Like heightened awareness because you're on edge. So you may not realize
0: you heard that noise, but like you heard it, a part of you did hear it. Right. um, And that's why you're having that. So he was like on alert and he was like, let's just get out of here. You know? So he, they turn to walk past the little cottage to get to their truck and um, they notice that a light is on in the cottage. And so uh, they're like, oh, yeah, we definitely need to go because now somebody's awake. Someone probably heard something, whatever. So they're walking past. They're like looking around. There's nobody around. They walk up to the cottage. They realize that the door to this little cottage is actually open. And you can see like straight through it into this bedroom. And right in the middle of the bedroom is this gun safe. And um, so him being like they're trying to get out of there, but I guess. He didn't want it to be a total bust, and he saw this safe that was heavy enough, but also big enough, like, small enough for him to actually go and pick it up, and then there's nobody around, so he really quickly... Well, doors w-
1: don't just open themselves. I know.
0: I would automatically think... I'm out of here. I would think, like, duh, there's somebody in there or yeah, someone close by, they're like... They're waiting for you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> at any rate, he goes in... I feel like something's about to jump out at me. Picks up the safe. He picks up the safe, and he takes it home. Um somehow he manages to get away with it. They drive away. He somehow just, I he manage. waits till the next morning mm-hmm. to open it because it's kind of loud, noisy to job break into opening a safe. a safe. Yeah, yeah. Um
1: there's a person inside. No. no. Okay.
0: No. <laughs> what he finds inside is the horrible, horrible part of the story. Oh. And so I'm just going to go ahead and say that what he found inside, um, he found a gun, some paperwork, um, some personal belongings. Okay. And um, He found active like photographic evidence of active um, crimes abuse to someone who's not even close to being able to consent to the stuff that's being done to them. So like horrible,
1: horrible things. things. Yeah.
0: So um, he is immediately disgusted, but also knows that he needs to turn these in. Mm -hmm. But he also knows that he has to do it anonymously. Because if he admits to stealing Uh a safe, he will go to jail for 25 years to life. Yes. So he cannot be pegged for another felony. Yeah. Uh Um, And so he has to make this decision to. So what he does is he like wipes everything down. Yeah. And so that his fingerprints aren't on it. Mm -hmm. He um, types up this little letter, Mm -hmm. puts it inside Mm -hmm. and says something like like 911 this needs to get to the police. Yeah. Um put this monster away. Right. The guy some of the paperwork had this person's name okay. on it. And so, so he it gave lead... the name. He said I stole this from this address. Mm-hmm. I it's was found with this was found with the property of this person. Mm-hmm. Um and you need to get get this, this person. person. Yeah. Um and he like took it to a house that he thought looked very familial. Okay. and like Kids a good citizen, a, yeah, like someone. A good citizen will do something. Someone about who this. would understand, like the who need. would want to protect children, and yeah. who would want to, you know, right. Um, and I do forget exactly like how they ended up linking it to him. Okay, if he ended up telling the police in a different incident, or if they tracked him down in some other way. But um, basically, he was able to anonymously give this evidence over, mm-hmm. um, which immediately took this like protected and and put away this person that committed this crime good except for the fact that he um he well so matt matt uh han was able to do an off the record interview with Mm -hmm. the police about Mm -hmm. this evidence wow um like the police actually wow they were like we just want to know we yeah. just want to know what happened. Yeah. Um, and so what ended up happening was very unfortunately, the DA came back and was like, um, this evil, horrible person is fighting this and attempting to have the evidence thrown out
1: because they don't, because it was anonymous. Yeah.
0: yeah. And because, well, they couldn't, they couldn't produce any sort of like chain, chain of, of custody, yeah. Yeah, anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so basically the DA was like, you are going to have to be mm-hmm. you're going to have to you're going to have to be the one that says i had this the whole time yeah i stole it mm-hmm. it was nobody else's mm-hmm. i stole it from this address mm-hmm. uh, basically i committed a felony yep so here's the thing is matt hahn wasn't um just copying to one breaking and entering felony mm-hmm. um it was 16 felonies Just from various, from the way he broke in because of trust, whatever. I don't know exactly what all the Mm -hmm. charges that were being brought against him were, Mm -hmm. but they had itemized the Mm -hmm. heck out of that event. Of course. And, um, and so he wasn't looking at 25 to life. He was looking at 400 years to life, which is is there a difference? Yeah. (laughs) Right. So it's not as though he... Had like he was legitimately giving up this life, mm-hmm. his life, yeah, to protect, yeah, well, to to get justice for this person, for this person, yeah, who had been a victim, yeah, um, and so his lawyer of course was like, I can't recommend that you do that. Like, I wouldn't be right. your lawyer if I recommended you do that, right? And basically, he's so he went back in, he started the interview and at one point the DA like turned off the tape recorder and was like, we have, you have to say like, this is the moment she was like, you don't have to, like, I'm not forcing you to say it, but like, if this is something you're planning on saying, right, this is the point in the interview where you need to like decide what what you're going to do. You're doing. Yep. And so he ended up he, and he, she even said, she was like, this isn't a TV show, right. Like. I can't offer you a deal. Right. I can't offer you leniency because of this good act that you're doing. Right. You're like, you're going, you're outing yourself to protect another person. Like I can't offer you anything. I can't promise. I can offer you 400 years to life. Right. Um, and so he did say that he stole it and he was the only person that had possession of it until he like placed it on that family's door step. Um, he said he stole the safe and where he stole it from. Wow. Um, which was like in the bag for his trial. Cause all they had to be was like, we have a recorded confession of him saying he stole it, you know? And so it was basically this monster. Um, I mean, it put him away too. But to put gives you some perspective, did it? It put the other guy, yeah. So he was going because it secured everything that they needed needed. because he could no longer have the evidence thrown out. Because part of his testimony was that Mm -hmm. there was nothing, nothing happened. I took it from your house, right? It was you, nothing was fabricated, nothing, no one broke the law. Like the police didn't break the law, rather, right? Um, and so just some perspective, like. Matt Hahn is going away for 400 years to life. That's his sentencing quandary. And um, the guy that committed a really, truly horrible crime right. um, is going to to prison for 30 years. Right. Um, which I hope I don't even have to explain the injustice. 30 years. That's there. We're, yeah. Take Matt Hahn out. Of the equation in thirty years. Thirty years. Um,
1: that's yeah. That's not I'm not just... willing. You know, and mm-hmm.
0: I'm. Mhm. I, like I said. I don't recommend that anyone go seek out the details of this. Right. Um. But if you, if you take a stance that, uh, like pedophilia is something to be pathologized and that it's a disease and they people right. just need help. Right. then maybe do maybe right. do go look into the details of this case um and decide because that's not um, accurate what's really just reprehensible right um also you can crack open the bible yep um at any rate um the da that took his interview and basically like asked him to go on record mm-hmm. she couldn't make him but right. she asked him to mm-hmm. um um she ended up going to the media Mm. and explaining what happened, what he did. Wow. And so, um, a few other people Mm -hmm. worked to basically create a media campaign. Mm -hmm. Just saying like, this is the problem with the three strikes law. It is is definitely a problem. Like this is a problem that the justice system needs to figure out because he did something wrong. Yeah. But he's—he is going away for—it's four, right? Like, so even if he got the minimum sentence, he'd be going away for three hundred and seventy years longer than a person that actually committed a crime that I personally believe
1: deserves the death deserves penalty. the
0: death penalty, right? Um, and so, uh, and not just because that seems—that's what seems right to me, right? That's what God's law prescribes yes. to make
1: a victim of that crime, yes whole and to yes. consider justice right. done. Matt Hahn did not deserve the pa- death penalty. He did no. nothing deserving of the death penalty. No. Um, he should have like, in. he did nothing deserving when of you life have, in prison. Right. So the focus of the law should be making the victim whole. So right. if Matt Hahn stole something, then he should have to pay it back. Right. So, but like putting him behind bars actually steals from people twice because if he stole your belongings and now your taxes are going to put the bill on him for the rest of his life, you've been stolen from twice. Right. So justice would be that Matt Hahn has to pay you back for what he stole with Plus, interest. Yeah.
0: Plus whatever labor time right. lost
1: or. Right. So to pay you to make you whole. Right. Is what Matt Hahn should have had to do. Right. He should not have to rot in prison while you pay for his food, shelter, clothing for the next 370 years. That's not just, it's not just to the victim. Um, And it's just incredible. Like you're like the, that the story you're telling really highlights how corrupt laws can be when they stray from an objective standard, because it's like, it's not just that he would get, you know, 400 years in prison for theft and then a person who has sexually abused another person mm-hmm. would get thirty years. Yeah. Like that's not You're talking about that's unacceptable.
0: Well and this is why I talk I dis- I wanted to discuss the violence element. Right. We have mm-hmm. one person who did violence to another image of God. Yeah. And then another person right. who stole from an image. Neither is good. Both Neither deserve is good. punishment. Yes. And obviously right. both are sins first and foremost against God. Right um but the point is the punish- is that their the punishment different. should fit the crime right and i hope that you well and and it's not because of because of god's law and how he preserved it for us we don't even have to guess on this one we know exactly we know exactly what god but, would right, do right um but basically he ended up getting out i don't know how many t- so okay. i'm going to go ahead and say that he served several years okay Four to five okay. years mm-hmm. in prison. Okay, um, he was paroled. I think he was paroled in like 2005 or 2006. Okay, um, and he went to school and got married, and now he tells his story to people. Um,
1: he got married. Yeah, <laughs> um,
0: oh. and you know he's he just has an incredibly interesting story, mm-hmm. and you know he I know that he he wouldn't he even says in certain interviews and stuff that it's almost like it was fate what happened. I mean, um, but I think what I got we a word for that, too. that Yeah. <laughs> but um, whether, you know, whether Matt Hahn wants to acknowledge the reason something like that would happen mm-hmm. or not. Um, I am going to take the opportunity because I love his story so much to mm-hmm. say that, It was a miraculous series Mm -hmm. of events that was used to
1: save. To save someone. Yeah. 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 And he,
0: like he, the only reason he would be even capable of making the decision that he made is because he's made in the image of God. He understands um, like what a violation against another person would be. Mm -hmm. Um, Whether you consider that he wouldn't, threaten someone with violence mm-hmm. and that he wouldn't be able to deal with covering up someone else mm-hmm. threatening someone else with violence or committing mm-hmm. violence against someone mm-hmm. and so he is not a good person in the sense that he mm-hmm. his righteousness before God are good to go like right. he's not working his way right. anywhere mm-hmm. um, but he's also in the image of God. It's an of evidence God. of and, God's grace Oh yeah,
1: that he was not a violent criminal even though he was a bit of a career criminal was not a violent criminal and then he essentially gave up his life to protect someone who needed protection and that's that is it's interesting and weird and I think a lot of times we can lump people into one category and just be like oh you were in prison well you're the worst of of us right Um, there are some people in prison who deserve the death penalty and there's a lot of people in prison that don't well, even deserve to be, to be, there. be there. Yeah. And that's, <laughs> that's reality. Right.
0: Um, wow. But yeah, I think it's an amazing story. Mm-hmm. It's like basically a story of heroism. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Very
1: anti-hero story.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But there's no, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't, I appreciate that he doesn't um, glorify what he did. Mm-hmm. And he except sanitize that, it. Well, and he accepts that like he should have gone away that right. he, there was a punishment due mm-hmm. to him. Yeah. Um and he as far as he knew when he went in, he was doing 400 years to life. Incredible. You know. Um and it was basically just people in the media that were like, "No, like that has to mean something. Like right. the reason he is there and plus the three strikes law in general." Yeah. Like this has to mean something. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. Well, and even just, so to, this is, my story is over. It's an amazing story. Yeah. Um, But to, to even give you a little bit of perspective, like I said earlier, the three strikes law has been uh, amended slightly and they have made some changes and stuff. Like you can't get sh- strikes for nonviolent felonies, um, though burglary still does fall under a felony because you're like breaking into someone's home. So that does represent like some violence against Someone. them and their Property. personal space, which yeah. I acknowledge. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are people who are in uh, are in jail for prison for life mm-hmm. um, because of nonviolent offenses like mm-hmm. having drugs. hmm on their person mm-hmm. not no violence nothing mm-hmm. um and they actually can only like even though the law has changed there wasn't this mass exodus from prisons they weren't like okay well so let's go through and make sure that everyone ha- gets out that doesn't fall under that category you know that's upsetting to um me. but so now you have to actually you like you have to get a legal representation you have to file an appeal and say look like i didn't have it. You have to go to the court, the court. So the law changed in regards to three strikes, but it's the onus is still on the person in prison that's wrong, who has basically no resources like they do have some, they have more. um, If you deserve death, you have more resources than you should have. But, um, you know, you're talking to people who don't have money. um, They've missed access to education or whatever. Right. Um, and they're actually, the onus is on them to seek representation, to get out, even though like the law has changed in that way. That's so dumb. Yeah. It's really inept is Mm -hmm. what it is. Well, and it
1: was criminal. It was
0: the three strikes law, I believe was a, it was all, it was from people that they were wronged. Like there, there's, there was a man whose daughter was killed by career criminals and like he started this like crusade and was like, if he, they had just stayed in jail, my daughter would be alive. But that's not like that's someone who's because justice wasn't done initially. Right. This is a person that has to circumvent and you create new a laws. And, you don't get a do over. You don't right. get a do over. That's not how it works. And then justice was never done to him because they just that's went stupid. to jail for like la- you know it just it's, really it's awful. It really shows you what just kind of the arbitrary system right will get you. At that point, you have subjective individuals seeking justice for people that do deserve justice. Like right. if your his daughter was murdered, like he... Right. She deserved justice. Her
1: murderer should have been put to death. Right. That would have
0: been justice. But he had to seek it outside of the law and create a new law and... That
1: perpetuated injustice upon others. Right. That's lame. Yeah. That's a crazy story about Matt, though. Yeah. I kind of want to know what he's up to now. Yeah. He does have a... He has some stuff.
0: He has a blog... But it hasn't been updated in a while, and then I do know that he he said that every year he goes to um, the school that he dropped out of, okay, and like does a talk, okay, and they always they never s- like say why the kids are there. They um they like explain the situation and they ask the kids like to weigh in on what uh. they think should be done to Matt Hahn, okay, and then they're like, he's here, so let him tell you about it. but i don't know i don't know like how awkward he's done
1: that (laughs) super awkward
0: but you know pretty normal guy but did a god used him to do a very right heroic thing to save someone you know i'm really glad it didn't cost him the rest of his life yeah me too um but yeah
1: good well crazy okay okay i gotta recover from that and tell my story hey matthew Sorry, we're recording, but I'm gonna do this anyway. I have a pink cord in Joyce's office. Can you grab it for me? You're the best. Thanks. You can shout out Texas again if you want. Shout out to all of Texas. He <laughs> shouted out to all of Texas. <laughs> Did he say Galveston? Yeah. Galveston, I see y'all. <laughs> okay, well, I'm gonna tell you about a story I've been following for several years. Because it's crazy. And, okay. So, I'm going to tell you about what really happened to flight MH370 that disappeared in 2014.
0: Oh. Yeah. This is so interesting. Mm Because this is one of those things that, it's anything that happened Mm -hmm. after, like, 2010, 2012, Mm -hmm. you're talking peak... Facebook, Twitter, social media. And so you're talking like peak um mm-hmm. tragedy. Mm-hmm. And then another thing happens and everyone forgets. And then mm-hmm. another thing happens and everyone forgets. And I another know. thing happens. And so I cannot forget about this one. It was like I have not been able it to. It was forget. this insane thing. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it it mm-hmm. almost seems like it's like, "Huh, did anyone ever like cover that I or know. I know. Did anyone look into that afterwards I know. or did we just I, I have looked into it since it's happened. Yes. Just cuz it's one of those things that's like Yeah.
1: Did like you can't just bring that up and then not give us a conclusion. I know. <laughs> I have an alert set for it. Oh, you do? Yeah, I've been following it. Okay. Ooh. So I'm going to tell you the story. Okay. So, it's March 8th, 2014. 12:42 a.m. The Boeing 777 operated by Malaysia Airlines. You can't find my pink cord? It's got to be in there on the floor. I saw it earlier. Wait, is it in my backpack? <laughs> I'm sorry. This is like a great way to start a story. It's <laughs> to let you guys know that I'm searching for a cord. Today we're going to talk part. to you about the mystery of the, m- the missing pink cord. pink cord. Oh, it was right there the whole time. Matthew, you're the best. I went through her purse. Too. Well,
0: it's I don't best. care. You can go through my purse.
1: <laughs> That's where we're at. Okay. So it's March 8th, 2014. Boeing 777. You can have the last chocolate-covered almond. You guys are just, like, in the room with us. That's what it's like now. <laughs> okay. Um, so this Boeing 777 is operated by Malaysia Airlines. It takes off from Kuala Lumpur, and it's headed for Beijing. The um, So MH, you'll hear me refer to it as MH. Mm-hmm. That's just Malaysia Airlines. That's their designation. Okay. Um, so the flight was MH370. So Farik Hamid was the first officer. He was flying the airplane. He was 27 years old and it was his last training flight. So we had to get through this training flight and then he was fully certified. His trainer was what's called the pilot in command. His name was Zarahi Ahmad Shah and he was 53. He was one of the most, he was like one of the senior captains at Malaysia Airlines. I guess it's very malaysian style to just go by your first name so like a lot of times okay you know, in america it's like captain Jaeger, but right. over there it's like zahari <laughs> okay um so he was married he had three kids he owned two houses and in one of his houses he had a he had built himself a very intricate elaborate microsoft flight simulator simulator and like that's okay like so when he wasn't flying professionally, he was like flying in his simulator and one of his fancy simulation. houses in a gated community because pilots, they make pretty good money. Um, and he would like that was his hobby. Like it was his job. It was also his hobby. It was flying. Um, so anyway, there were 10 flight, atten- 10 flight attendants. They had 227 passengers, including five children. Most of the passengers were Chinese, 38 were Malaysian, and then the rest, you had a little bit of everything. There were Americans, Iranians, Ukrainians, Ukrainians Canadians, Australians. Okay. Mostly Chinese, though. Um, going home. Right. Headed to Beijing. So, uh, first officer, Farik, flew the airplane. Captain Zahari handled the radio. This was a very standard arrangement, nothing weird about that. Um, however, Zahari's transmissions were a bit strange. So at remember, they took off at twelve forty-two at one oh one he radioed, said that they had leveled off at thirty-five thousand feet. Um, but this was kind of like a unnecessary report, um, because the norm was to report leaving an altitude, not arriving at an okay. altitude. So that was a little strange, especially for someone who was like a senior officer and it was just a little weird um at 108 the flight crossed the malaysian coastline and set out across the south china sea toward vietnam and again zahari reported the planes level at 35,000 feet again even though nothing had changed this was a little odd okay 11 minutes later
0: i'm pulling this up on a map because I okay just-
1: yeah <laughs> south china sea um Kuala Lumpur is where they left off from. Okay, so. I just feel like being able to. See it. Sure. Look at it. Right. So, 11 minutes later, um, they would be getting close to the beginning of Vietnamese air traffic jurisdiction. Okay. So, the Kuala Lumpur radioed and they said, Malaysian 370, contact Ho Chi Minh 120.9. Good night. Zahari answered, good night, Malaysian 370. He did not read back the frequency like he should have, but otherwise everything was normal. Okay. And it was the last anyone heard from MH370. The pilots didn't check in with Ho Chi Minh, as they should have, and they didn't answer any attempts to contact them after that. So, a couple of things you need to know. Primary radar something that it basically relies on just pings off of objects, air traffic control systems use something called secondary radar. And that is basically something that depends on a transponder signal that's transmitted by each airplane and it gives more information. So it tells what airplane it is, what altitude it's at. Okay. This is more than primary radar does. So five seconds after the, the plane, Crossed over into Vietnamese airspace. The symbol representing MH370's transponder dropped off the screens, and then 37 seconds later, the entire airplane disappeared from any radar. This was that. This was 39 minutes after it took off.
0: I know. I was gonna say they're not no. super far into their
1: 39 minutes flight. So
0: the controller, like, even if you just look at it, right? Because Beijing is pretty far, far. north. Yeah, yeah. It's like up by the Koreas
1: right they they barely got into the flight so the controller in Kuala Lumpur was dealing with other traffic and he just didn't notice that this dropped off the radar and when he he did notice he assumed that this was because they had crossed into the other airspace okay. that they're supposed to be crossing into um, which you know he he can't view because it's not their airspace right. Well, the Vietnamese controllers saw MH370 cross into their airspace and disappear. They apparently, what we understand is that they misunderstood a formal agreement where Ho Chi Minh was like, they were supposed to inform Kuala Lumpur if an airplane, like if an airplane gets handed off into their airspace and doesn't check in, they're supposed to inform. something happens. Okay. Yeah. Um, so Kuala
0: Lumpur was supposed to know about this. Yes,
1: they tried repeatedly to contact the aircraft. They didn't. They couldn't get in contact with them. By the time they picked up the phone to tell Kuala Lumpur, it had been 18 minutes since 370 had disappeared. Okay. So after that, it's like confusion and a lot of incompetence. <laughs> um, yeah, because Kuala Lumpur's. Like rescue coordination, people should have been notified within an hour, but by two thirty, they still had not been notified. Four hours passed before any emergency response began. It wasn't until six thirty-two a.m. that anybody Whoa. was like, "Oh, something's wrong."
0: But everyone knew at this point. Every- Vietnamese like, airspace and Malaysian. They knew it was gone. Kuala Lumpur knew. Yeah. Okay, because they were notified within eighteen minutes. They were eventually but notified. They didn't.
1: They didn't follow up, and Ho Chi Minh didn't follow up, and it wasn't until the airplane should have been landing in Beijing that any kind of emergency response was taken. Shoot, I would have just been like, "How do you get distracted
0: from something <laughs> like that?" I don't know. What I mean, I'm sure they know. I'm sure that's how any the beginning of any crazy event, I guess, right. happens is like nobody right. thinks that crazy 227 event is people
1: just disappeared literally into thin air but i wonder like y'all so are chill right now what is
0: the i'll
1: get there is it normal
0: for like an airplane to just no. disappear no nope. off of a radar no
1: nope. not unless something is horribly wrong so i just feel like you'd be like no i feel like we should revisit that confusion lack of communication it was bad or okay. yeah i
0: mean i guess if you thought like oh, I just need to hand this off to another right. person. Right. Oh,
1: you're, you'll deal with it. You'll deal but with even it. Even then, I'd still be like, nobody's I dealing know with it. It happened. I know. Okay. So when the plane should have been landing in Beijing at 6:32 a.m., finally a search begins to start in the South China Sea between Malaysia and Vietnam. Um, it was an international effort. There well, were you know the
0: sea is a very easy thing to search. <laughs>
1: right. Super easy. No big um, deal. There were 34 ships and 28 aircraft from seven different countries involved in the effort, but MH370 was nowhere to be found within a matter of days. um, Basically, what they were able to discover between the different kinds of, like between the different um, kinds of radar and air traffic control systems and things like that, um, what we were able to kind of discover was that as soon as the the plane disappeared from secondary radar like as soon as it disappeared it turned sharply to the southwest flew back across the Malay Peninsula and banked around the island of Penang Penang I'm probably not saying that right
0: Let me see
1: from there hold on it gets weirder From there, it flew northwest up the Strait of Malacca. Wait. (laughs) So it landed? No. So it turned. Oh, okay. It turned. It flew back across the peninsula. It banked around the island of Penang. And then it flew northwest up the Strait of Malacca and out across the Andaman Sea. Okay. I'm with you. I'm following. And once it flew out across the Andaman Sea, it... Faded and disappeared. That Faded. okay, but it just there was no more. Um, the radar range wouldn't have reached over there. Okay. So that part of the flight that I just explained to you, the banking and the island, uh, took more than an hour. But nobody could
0: see it on anyone's. No radar. one saw it
1: happen. It it was it was what they had to put together from like pings and transponders and air traffic control, and the fact that this took more than an hour suggests that this was not like a standard hijacking case or something like that. Or it doesn't seem like an accident or a pilot suicide thing. Like this was like, it doesn't like, what does that tell you? Like it flew here and then it flew there and then it went out into obscurity. Right. And it took over an hour to do and keep in mind, when they first disappeared off the radar, they had only been in the, they'd only been in the air for 39 minutes. Right. So it was just really odd. So obviously there's a lot of investigation that's been done, there's a lot of speculation. There were there were 227 people on that flight and families all across the world that were affected by it. Yeah. Um it's scary to consider that like this could happen. Oh, yeah. Like you're talking about a modern plane in modern times, like, and it's simply vanishing and it's just weird. Um, it's never happened before. No. Like a Boeing 777 is meant to be accessible and its location is meant to be known right. at all times.
0: It's a passenger plane. It's not a secret military right. operation. Passenger
1: commercial airplanes it's don't just disappear. a bunch of people
0: going home. Right. Or going to Beijing. Right. Or. Right.
1: Weird. So it's strange. Um, and they really never left.
0: Like. Right. I guess they never went like further south than.
1: Right. So we don't have, you know, because it's never been found, we don't have like the black box everybody knows about the cockpit voice recorder, the flight data recorder. Um, what we can hope is that if we do get information, it'll come from Malaysia. So let me tell you a couple stories on the evening of the airplane's disappearance. A middle aged American man named Blaine Gibson was sitting in his late mother's house in Carmel, California and he was getting ready to sell her house. So he was like sorting through taxes and things like that. And then he heard the news about the flight on CNN. Um, he's a, he was a lawyer and he lived in Seattle for more than 35 years. Um, his father was a World War I vet who interestingly and horribly endured a mustard gas attack. Oh, um, his mother was a graduate of Stanford law school. So he comes from a long line of kind of tough people and he was an only child. Anyway, his mom liked to travel internationally and, um, his goal by the age of seven was to visit every country in the world, at least once. (laughs) Um, so anyway, he has kind of, he's been a world traveler. He's trained in law, um, all this stuff. So obviously he was really interested in this case. Mm -hmm. Like, and he's kind of like some people describe him like a modern day Indiana Jones. Oh, that's kind of like cool people that know him think of him. So despite the denials by Malaysian officials and all of the kind of like obfuscation, um, that the Malaysian air force was trying to do, like you lost a plane like, it's right. not something people want to own. Be yeah, like, oh, yeah, I just, just go lost go 227 people. Yeah. Um, Nobody wanted
0: to... Well, because you better believe that whoever's name it all gets pinned on... Uh-huh. ...is also is in be trouble for life, on yes. lawsuits yes. and yes. things like that.
1: Okay. Well, it turns out that MH370 had continued to link up intermittently with a geostationary Indian Ocean satellite operated by Inmarsat, which is a commercial vendor in London, for six hours after the airplane disappeared from secondary radar. As it was heading out over that Uh on-demand sea? How do you pronounce that? That's my best guess. Okay. Okay. This means that the airplane had not suddenly suffered a catastrophic event. During those six hours, it was... Going at high speed, high altitude cruising flight. The Inmarsat linkups, some of them, they're called handshakes. They're, ele- like, they're like electronic blips. So okay. they're just very like routine connections. Hey, we're here.
0: Yeah. We're here. Right. Hello. Little handshake. Just like. Right. This is where we're at. That's it. Right.
1: Okay. So. How far do they make it? Well, all told, there were seven linkups. Two were initiated automatically by the airplane. Five initiated, five initiated automatically by the Inmarsat ground station. Okay. There were also two satellite phone calls. They went unanswered, but they do tell us something. Associated with most of those connections were two values that Inmarsat had. It was kind of like a new thing for them to log. The first of the values is known as a first timing offset or something like think of it as like a distance value. It's, it measures the transition time, I'm sorry, the transmission time to and from the airplane. So it can tell the distance between like the object and the satellite itself. Um, It doesn't pinpoint like a single location, but just location from the satellite. Okay. So So it can give you like kind of a circular information. Yeah. So, given the range limits of the airplane itself, um, basically, this they kind of get the idea that MH three seventy crossed into the north vicinity of Antarctica at eight nineteen a.m. South. Yes. So they what crossed the Indian Ocean? Well, calculations of. Likely flight paths place the airplanes uh, in Kazakhstan if the airplane turned north or okay. if it turned north or in the very south of the Indian Ocean. Okay. So basically the, the satellite doesn't give them any more information than that. Either they were in Kazakhstan okay. or they were like way, 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 way down south.
0: And then the satellite calls would suggest that like someone... Well, I'm assuming passengers don't have access to satellite calls, so it would have would to assume. be some flight staff. Right.
1: Okay, but all that to say, the technical an- analysis leads us to believe, with almost certainty, that it, the airplane went south. Okay. Um. So. That that's that's basically the closest we can, assume. So, um. Okay. I'm sorry. I lost my spot. Okay. After six hours, the Doppler data indicates a steep descent as much as like five times steeper than a normal descent rate. And basically within a minute or two of this descent, um, the plane, it seems dived into the ocean. Um, judging from the electronic evidence, this was not a controlled attempt at a water landing, like the plane must have like instantly just dropped exploded from the sky. into a million okay. pieces when it hit the water. Um, but they don't know where impact occurred or right. why. Um, and there's no physical evidence to confirm it. <laughs> like it just seems like with a steep, with a descent that steep, like the plane would have hit the water and just completely exploded yeah. into billions of pieces. um, wow. OK, so less than a week after the disappearance, the Wall Street Journal was the first to publish a report about that satellite and those transmissions, which indicated the airplane um, had most likely stayed aloft for hours after going silent. Malaysian officials eventually admitted that the account was true. Okay. So the Malaysian regime was said to be one of like the most corrupt in the region, the region and everything that happened after this seemed to like prove that true because they just they weren't they weren't doing anything. Right. They weren't admitting to anything. Um, accident investigators were coming from all over the world, Europe, Australia, the U S and they were like horrified by what they found. And because the Malaysians didn't like, they withheld what they knew. The sea searches were concentrated in the wrong place. Right. Um, well, I mean, yeah, you're talking like the wrong ocean. Right. And if the <laughs> Malaysians had just told the truth, then debris might've been found. Right. Um, at least something. And they had an underwater search going on, you know, thousands of miles away. Um, there was another flight, Air France 447, um, you know, which had it basically when that flight crashed, it took two years to find the black box, and the the searchers knew exactly where to look. But with the oh, Malaysians wow. like obfuscating and all that, yeah. like anyway, so the initial search of the waters ended in April 2014 which was after two months of futile efforts. And then they started searching below the surface where the search is still going on today. Um, So Blaine Gibson, our Indiana Jones, he kind of followed the story from a distance. He sold his mom's house and moved to the golden triangle of Northern Laos where uh, he, for some reason built a restaurant and he joined a Facebook group dedicated to the loss of the flight and was studying this. Um, So anyway, the Australians and some international citizens kind of took the lead in finding this and the area of the Indian ocean, where the satellite was pointing pointing to was where they decided they were going to dedicate their time. So in March of 2015, they had a one year commemoration of the flight's disappearance in Kuala Lumpur and Gibson went. Um, he had nothing really to add. He just like wanted to be there, but people were like, who is this guy? And like, why is he here? Um, and the purpose of the meeting was to kind of like put pressure on the government to keep looking and provide explanations and tell us what happened. Um, there was like, people were, they made like these big posters that say like, where, who, why, when, how unprecedented vanished, clueless, um, anyway, just lots and lots of pressure were put on people to do things. And at this party, um, Gibson ends up becoming friends with the speaker, who was a Malaysian woman named Grace. Anyway, Grace and Gibson pretty much are like, we're gonna do this. Like, we're gonna find this thing. Um, so they spend years looking for it and Gibson and, like, he he just really kind of takes on a, like, Indiana Jones but not alone. Like, he's okay. going to get, like, other people to um, be a part of this. Um, and they're going to look for debris that may have been spread out. Um, and people have found debris washed up on different shores. Yeah, I was going to say, I did know that. Mm-hmm. That's right. Um, unfortunately, even like trying to work backward from where the debris washed up, like nobody can pinpoint exactly where. Right. You know, it's just important. Again, it's just impossible. Searching the right ocean would have been very helpful. Would have, <laughs> yeah, it would have been very helpful. I mean, and
0: I guess, you know, mm-hmm. it's possible that it wouldn't have been. But right. If we're finding debris. Mm hmm then mm-hmm. you'd like to think that maybe you would there'd be some indication.
1: Right. So but gosh. Since the time that time, uh the Australian government has spent about $160 million searching before they wow. ended their official investigation. Um in twenty eighteen, an American company called Ocean Infinity under contract with the Malaysian government on a no find, no fee basis, picked up the search. And they're using advanced underwater surveillance vehicles, um, to try to find, to try to find that, um, they've investigated the Malaysian police, um, just so many investigations, nothing really said. Um, and basically everyone feels like the Malaysian government just wanted to cover it up. Right. Um, Turns out people, not everyone's
0: willing to pretend a plane never existed. Right. Wow. Especially the people on the plane. What the, like the family members. of? Right. It seems unbelievable.
1: Right. I know. Like, oh, they. I know. (laughs) And there have been so many like conspiracy theories. Like a particularly crazy one is about this British woman named Saucy Sailoress. And she was (laughs) like hanging out in Southern Asia with her husband in a sailboat. And she claims that on the night the plane disappeared, they were in the Adaman sea and she spotted what looked like a cruise missile coming at her. The missile morphed into a low flying airplane with a well-lit cockpit bathed in a strange orange glow and trailing smoke. Um, so, you know, there's just a lot of like different stories about it. And, uh, Oh yeah. I mean,
0: in the absence of of information, the conspiracy right. theories go right. crazy. Like, right. Well, especially when it first happened, I remember. Right. Like when we had less information, mm-hmm. um, it was like mm-hmm. aliens. Mm-hmm. This and that. Like, of course, the more obvious, like mm-hmm. terrorism, suicide.
1: Yeah. But that's so, just so. Str- I mean, I right. think
0: The big thing is like. I mean, obviously we have more information as to where it went Mm -hmm. and it's, we, I think everyone is uh, understanding when it comes to how hard it can be to find Mm -hmm. something in the ocean. Mm -hmm. I think the big thing that people really would want to know is why, like what happened, what would cause someone to basically complete a flight, but in the opposite direction. One of the weird and after it fell off a radar. Right. Like, so you could even if there was like a hijacked plane. Right. For it to fall off a radar. Mm hmm. But then, it, I mean, why would you hijack a plane and fly it into the like, where were they going? Antarctica?
1: Sorry, oh, yeah. I'm arguing with Matthew. Um, <laughs> Our computer doesn't have any <laughs> USB ports because it's new. Then come over here. I need that. so one of the weirdest I'll share this with you guys because this one is this one seems like crazy to me but like possible okay so there's an electrical engineer in Boulder Colorado and he studied the radar data and he believes that during that turn the airplane climbed up to 40,000 feet which is close to its climbing limit and during that maneuver the passengers would have experienced like g-forces okay um like that you know that feeling of like when you're pressed back into the seat and he believes the reason for that climb was to accelerate the effects of depressurizing the airplane which would cause rapid incapacitation and death of everyone in the cabin like that's what he thinks happened um and i mean there's a lot of
0: Well, but there's another way to immediately cause death to a bunch of people in a plane. Yes,
1: but intentional depressurization, depress, depressurization (laughs) would have been a way to subdue a potentially unruly cabin in an airplane that was going the wrong way and was going to remain in flight. Um, And the cabin, the effect would have gone unnoticed. But I mean, except for like, you know, the drop down oxygen Mm -hmm. masks. Um, So anyway, It's just, there's a lot of, so we know that stuff that happened, um, but it's never been found. Like, I'm really hoping, you know, it could have been like a hijacking event. Um, they, they went into Zahari's house and like checked his flight simulator to see like if he had done anything similar to this. Um, they didn't, I mean... I don't don't know anyway well and it's like
0: you have a senior member Mm -hmm. on the plane Mm -hmm. and then you have a member who's about to become certified Mm -hmm. which kind of makes Mm -hmm. all of his work previous to that moment Mm -hmm. pretty meaningless Mm -hmm. if his intention is to just Mm -hmm. crash the plane right before right (laughs) he gets certified right Well, well and especially like it's not like people didn't know people weren't involved in the personal lives of these two Mm -hmm. pilots Mm -hmm. like they would have. I don't know. I just wonder if anyone had any insight. Mm
1: -hmm. I'm assuming that they were
0: pretty normal.
1: Well, uh, well, okay. So the official report though, is that nothing in the flight simulator points to Zahari. Okay. Except that, Um, so the, the FBI of the United States like that's that's the Malaysian story
0: okay oh okay well that's different
1: the FBI well because the Malaysian
0: story was also that <laughs> uh-huh it's all fine yeah we lost right. the radar but it's not a big thing
1: so I'm sure they'll be there in was, Beijing in six hours right. well there was a flight simulation that went north around in Indonesia and was followed by a long run to the south which ended in fuel exhaustion over the Indian Ocean. Like I said, the Malaysian investigators are like, well, this is one of several hundred. Like, you know, it's like, what is the big deal? Which, but it's just not like he practiced that
0: one flight <laughs> right. over and over and over again.
1: Right. However, <laughs> of all of the, fl- of the, like, flights that came from the simulator that they could see, the one that was closest to MH370's path was the only one that Zahari did not run as a continuous flight, which, me- in other words, taking off on the simulator and letting the flight play out hour after hour oh, okay. until it reached the destination airport. So instead, he advanced the flight manually in multiple stages, repeatedly jumping the flight forward and okay. subtracting the fuel as necessary until it was gone. So there are some who believe that Zahari was responsible...
0: He was, like, basically just trying to see how far...
1: Right, because there's nothing technical that he could have learned by rehearsing, like, this thing on a Microsoft product. Um, The people that investigate it think that maybe this was, like, a breadcrumb to say goodbye. Like, it's as if he was, like, simulating a simulation. Like... Well, but that just like okay, so even if you can establish a motive for suicide,
0: you also have to establish a motive for murder because he didn't just commit suicide; he killed someone he knew, right, a fellow staff member, right, and then two hundred plus right other innocent people, right. I mean,
1: you can't, you can't. uh, It's not enough. Like, it's not enough. Like establishing that
0: he would take his own life, I don't think, Mm -hmm. is enough because it's different to take I mean it's awful no matter what but right. it's a different thing to take your own life than to right, take your life and the lives of
1: 200 other people right so all of that to say um, other than just watching like a lot of news reports I got most of my information from an article in the Atlantic about it that covers it more deeply than I just told you by a guy named William Languish oh. <laughs> I don't know if I'm saying that right But um, anyway, his final thought on it is going to be my final thought because I thought it was really interesting. He said in his article, the important answers probably don't lie in the ocean, but on land in Malaysia. That should be the focus moving forward. Unless they are as incompetent as the Air Force and air traffic control, the Malaysian police know more than they have dared to say. The riddle may not be deep, and that is the frustration here. The answers may well lie close at hand, but they are more difficult to retrieve than any black box. If Blaine Gibson—that's Indiana Jones—wants mm. <laughs> a real adventure, he might spend a year poking around Kuala Lumpur. I'm hoping this is the kind of thing where you know how we know more about Chernobyl now, yeah, than we did when it happened, well, or even I mean, the years after. Just finding something, right, could help, right. But in t- I'm oh, hoping that I mean, one goodness. day we'll have the answers. But like, in you know, terms the of government like is hiding government. Government. Yeah. It's like what? Yeah. They're totally hiding something. time. It's only a mess. time. It's a mess. Anyway, that's my story. That's uh, <laughs> that's the Malaysian story. And they're sticking to it. Gosh, I know. Because, yeah, that's just such a crazy.
0: hmm. I don't know. Like, there's not. Yeah, you can speculate as to why he would do it, but you'd have to speculate. Mm-hmm. Obviously, it happened. Did he do it? Was it something else?
1: I know. Uh, I want have, to know. But what
0: kind of force... Like, What is the intention of anything that would have you dr- just fly to the middle of... Like, just head towards Antarctica and see how far you make it? I
1: mean... Some say hijacking. Some say it was Zarahi, like suicide mission. That doesn't really make sense to me. I don't know. It's crazy. We may never know what happened on that flight. But there's, I mean, the 227 souls. I know. Isn't that horrible?
0: Well, and yeah, no matter what's going on, Mm -hmm. when you're over the ocean and you're supposed to be over land.
1: I know. It makes you think about... How much you have to trust the person flying oh, the plane that what you're is that? on. Isn't that crazy to think about? Like, yeah. you really have to trust them. Yeah. I mean, they're Quite performing a, a bit <laughs> specialty
0: <laughs> skill. Yeah. God. So,
1: okay, that's down. What's a happy thought? Shout out to Texas. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a happy thought as you go about your week. I don't know. Well, hopefully we
0: just find out what happened at some point And right. there can be some peace given to the family that like and, wonder what yeah is going on
1: super crazy enjoy your next flight you guys um <laughs> <laughs> hopefully you're not on a flight right now <laughs> listening to this
0: if you are oh, look around man is anyone up to anything
1: oh man all right well hey you can leave us a voicemail at 470-465-0475 you can hit us up at patreon.com slash sheologians we are partying over there, and um, I don't know. What else do I need to tell them? I think that's it. That's it. Okay. Well, cool. That is it for this week, and we will see you guys next week. See ya.